how can just being nice to other people impact not only your life, but the lives of people around you and in your business? We're going to talk about that next on the Monday Christian Podcast. Listening to the Monday Christian Podcast, the program dedicated to helping you put into action the truth of God's word that you hear on Sunday to your everyday life on Monday. And now, here's your host, Ezra Beyer. Well, hey there, welcome once again to the Monday Christian Podcast. And uh, we're into week number eight now of this COVID virus season. And to be honest, I just feel like not talking about it anymore. It just feels very tiring, but it's reality of where we're living right now. And uh, different states, and, and uh, certainly in Canada as well, have extended uh, the guidelines, um, keeping stay-at-home orders for another month at least, at minimum. And this impacts us all in different ways. Today, though, I wanted to specifically focus on businesses. What do you do if you're a business owner, particularly a Christian business owner, you're wanting to lead your team well. How do you do that? What are some tips? My guest on our podcast today is Matthew Yule. He's the founder of leadingwithnice.com. I first got to know Matthew several years ago when I was living in Toronto and we just he was at that time he was on staff at a local church and we just connected and interacted and now he leads his own company where he mentors business leaders specifically with the goal of helping them lead their teams well. And his specific theme is just what I said, leading with nice. And his point, as he's going to make in just a couple minutes, is that business owners that treat their employees well are going to actually have higher profits, see better returns. Sounds like kind of a funny, uh, you you know, like, well, yeah, that's obvious. Well, no, actually, it's it's not so obvious. And during this COVID-19 season, those cliches of putting the customer or putting employees first are, are really being put to the test. So as Christians, how do we do that? How do we do that effectively? Matthew's going to give us some awesome tips. I think you're going to like what he has to share. Let's get into it right now. My guest on the podcast tonight is Matthew Yule. And Matthew, hey, thank you so much for taking some time and coming on tonight. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And for those that don't know you, and, and a lot of my friends now, my wife and I, we recently moved from Toronto out to Nampa, Idaho here. And uh, so a number of my Toronto friends would know you, but uh, a lot of my friends in, in the U.S. Um, might not be as familiar. And uh, you've done a lot of things over the years. Uh, one, one of the great things, though, and I'll talk about like kind of how we got to know each other later, but you developed a, uh, a website uh, developed around the theme of leading with nice. And, uh, right. and so that's uh, very it's, it's a cool topic that we're going to get into. But um, for those that are, that are unfamiliar with you and with your story, just share a little bit about your journey of how did you come to faith in Christ and and how did that all come about? Sure. You know, uh, I don't really have, I don't really have a very exciting, uh, come to Jesus story, to be honest. Uh, I grew up in a Christian home and my mom tells me at some point, like when I was six or seven, I asked her, how do we become a Christian? And she explained to me how you do it. She said, let me know if you ever want to do that. And like 10 minutes later, I'm like, yeah, let's do that thing. So I was really fortunate <laughs> to have a really strong, like faith community around me and a great youth group growing up, um, a husband and wife team, Colin and Judith McCartney in Toronto were my youth pastors, and they had we had a huge youth group at a you know a quasi smaller church, and um, she uh, sorry they uh, they were good. So I you know um, you know with a with a few spots where I wasn't as uh, big into faith in my life for sure, but um, but yeah that's you know that's my my faith journey more or less. And you know so kind of growing up i guess more more as a christian and i love like it's funny i keep on the show that 
for some. Yeah. So I just talked to one a couple of days ago, Johnson Shu, that you, you may be familiar, yeah. familiar with the name. Yeah. And his was a very, you know, very interesting story where it was, you know, many years. And, and it's just it's fascinating to find how people come to faith in just so many different ways, isn't it? Yeah. Well, you know, I worked, as, as you know, I worked in communications for a large church here in Toronto with like over 300 missionaries were associated with that church. So I often heard their testimonies and like some would be like, oh, so, you know, when I was escaping um, genocide in Rwanda, I met a guy in a refugee camp and he asked me what I want with my life. And I'm like, oh, man, like I literally I think I prayed on my picnic table in the backyard. I mean, that was my uh, story. So some people just have had these like awesome stories where. There's been some, you know, heavenly intervention for sure, but I don't have one of those. But it's all good, man. It all, it all, there. It's all, any. Hey, it's not a matter how you got here. It's that you're here. So, well, you mentioned the People's Church, and for those unfamiliar, I mean, sure. if you live in Toronto, you know about the People's Church because it's massive. Yes. How, how large is it? Yep. Probably four, three, four thousand. Well, I think there, I think on a given Sunday there'll be like three thousand that come, but there's probably about six thousand on the on the attendee roll. And uh, probably about 5,800 of those people were like, would make at least a monthly appearance on a Sunday for sure. And you worked as, was the so, communications director? I was, a, the, I was a communications director, yeah. And it was a great time. Um, they had a pastor there, Charles Price, for a number of years. And he was just coming to the end of his tenure. So I got to do, I, I love I love change management and crisis communications. Um, and so I was able to be the communications director kind of, uh, moving from uh, Charles Price as the lead pastor into a new guy, Brett McBride, who was like, I think probably half his age, maybe not quite half his age, but, you know, younger guy, young family. Um, Charles Price, our nickname for him now, because he uh, he used to be on television. We had this show called The Living Truth. Yeah. And um, you can hear it and his hair. You can hear yeah, everywhere, like all it's England, the UK, uh, sorry, that is the UK, uh, Latin America, everywhere. And so we called him, uh, so his name's Charles Price. When he stopped, um, when he stopped preaching and being on television, he just let his hair go to his natural color because he kept it dyed to to have continuity on television. And so now we call him um, the Price is White. So uh, <laughs> the Price is the White. White. Yeah, that's, that's that's the, the nickname. That's our nickname for him. So but he's a he's a solid dude, man. I really he's yeah. a great preacher and a good guy just all around. And his wife Hillary as well. I really had a great relationship with both of them. And um, now they're under the leadership of Brett McBride, and the church is going in new and exciting ways. And yeah, it's a lot of fun. Well, and you've launched out into something new, and, and I followed it a little bit from from afar. And um, yes. tell us about what you're doing now with this whole um, sure. website, Lead with Nice, and it's uh, yeah. Lead with Nice. Is it dot com? Is that or org? What yeah, leading with leading with nice dot com. Yeah. So uh, yep. two years ago, um, it was actually almost almost two years ago. Next month, it was around May. Uh, I had been doing – so I was taking a master's in leadership and management, and I just actually graduated. I just finished my last paper a couple weeks ago. I was supposed to have my graduation this weekend, but it's been canceled, so I'm celebrating celebrating in the basement. Um, so anyhow, I was doing this uh, course. I took this course called Organizational Coaching, and at the end of the week – uh, this is like in March 2018. At the end of the week, um, we had been put into groups, and you were supposed to meet with each person and kind of give them feedback on what they saw that week. And the, this course was – we did a lot of work online then came together for a one-week module, and then we went home. And um, I had been working on this project called Leading with Nice for probably about – since 2008, so probably about 10 years and it came out of, I did some freelance journalism, I interviewed a lot of people, and at one point, a colleague asked me, you know, what, what makes a good leader based on what you've seen? So that's a great question. And what I came uh, to conclude, now, that great leaders have these six qualities. Now, there are some great leaders that are very successful and accomplish their goals that do not have these, but the ones that do it well, that I think do it well, have these six qualities. They really excelled in... Uh, in gratitude, empathy, trust, honesty, um, uh, honesty, generosity, and service. And I asked myself, I said, I wonder if this is just like all anecdotal, or is there actually scientific and academic data to back up that if you are intentional about being an empathetic leader, if you are intentional about showing a lot of gratitude as a leader, that you will actually impact the bottom line. Because really in business and in most organizations, the bottom line, whatever that bottom line is, whether it be like 
money or in a church save souls, whatever it is, that's what matters. So it doesn't impact it. And sure enough, there is boatloads of both academic and scientific research that supports that if you in, are intentional about um, increasing your capacity in those six qualities, you will incre- uh, impact your bottom line. And uh, so I've been researching that for about 10, 10 years. I had written like a short ebook. Um, and had a website, leadingwithnice.com. And at the end of the week, I met with my group members one-on-one. So there were six of us, so five people. And all five of them said, man, you should go into consulting. Like, you're just really good. That's what you should do. And so I was like, oh, interesting. And at the end of the one-on-ones, I said to the group, I'm like, oh, it's so funny. Isn't it funny how everybody kind of had the same message for you because we've been you know, meeting for so long? And all my five group members were like, oh, no, like you all said something different to me. Like nobody said the same thing to me. And I was like, really? And I, I'm like, oh, because you all told me I should go into consulting. And they're like, yes, you should all. They reinforced it. So I was like, OK, you know, that's something that I'll look forward to into the future. Maybe like maybe like in 2022, I'll look at that. And then in May, um, I had a few like uh, contracts I've done on the side. Like most people these days, I had a side hustle. Mine was in strategic planning and um, strategic communications. And uh, I had three clients um, one current client and two new ones came and offered me uh, full-time jobs. And I said to all three of them, you know, like I have a full-time job. I'm not looking for another full-time job or instead of this one. And I, uh, one of them said, oh, that's too bad. Is there anything we can do to convince you? I said, you know what, to be honest, like even if I were to leave this, I want to go into consulting and have a, have a, an agency of clients. And she said, then we're your first client, do it. And I said, oh, ha, ha, ha. And then I talked to the two other clients and I said, hey, I'm thinking about actually going to consulting. Would you be interested in this? And they said yes. So within seven days, I had a roster full of clients and my wife and I talked about it for about 10 days. And at the end of it, she said, you know, this is what you're meant to do. So, yeah, I left my full time work and started consulting full time. As I was uh, reviewing just before before this podcast and I was looking over those values, you know, gratitude, empathy, trust, honesty, generosity, service. Yeah. I got them written down there, so I didn't have them memorize that. Yeah. Fast, but... <laughs> <laughs> but I say when... get hugs. Get hugs is the acronym. Yeah. Oh, OK. Yeah. yeah. Actually, that's, that's not too bad. Yeah. Get hugs. Yeah. Um, which one of those is, is kind of the gateway that is very like, is there one of those that, that is very um, that leads into the other ones? You know, um, kind of interwoven, you know, different people are going to have different strengths. Um, I think, you know, some leaders are very service driven. Um, Some people, some leaders are uh, great at trust. So in in giving their employees trust and then also with that comes the right mentoring. Uh, Some just lead with empathy. However, I would say today um, and it's uh, the two that I find are critical because they're so lacking. So you might find leaders who really excel at generosity, some who really excel at service, like in more in um, more volume. But the two that seem to be lacking today in the workforce is empathy and trust. And those Why do you think that are, is? Well, I just think because um, we don't know. OK, well, first of all, trust, um, you know, our parents probably had a job. Like, maybe not yours and mine specifically, but our generations of parents, they had a job, they got out of college and probably had that all the way through the end. And even through thick and thin, they didn't get laid off. They, you know, that kind of thing. They didn't have to worry about cutbacks, even though there were cutbacks. They just didn't, the idea that you would lay off half your staff didn't really come in until about the eighties or nineties. That was like, a, that's a new thing. Um, and so we've actually taught our workers of today that like you shouldn't trust the company because that the first sign of danger they will probably lay you off or they will ask for a cutback or they will demand more of you um that's just like a norm and the empathy is um you know uh it's funny we we're starting to see government legislate time off in sick days because private industry won't do it themselves And, um, you know, so like, that's all about like that really empathy isn't all about like, oh, you're sick, take a day off. Right. But that is definitely quality. So that's why I think those two are the are lacking and what we're learning from this experience. So now, if you're listening to this podcast down the road, um, Ezra and I are speaking right in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic and everybody's had to work from home. So we flip this switch where all these companies, I heard it so often when I would work with um, with senior leadership teams and we would talk about working remotely, all the, all the things would come up like, 
oh, how do we know they'll do their work? They just want to slack off. Like literally they would say these things. I'm like, really? Do you want to slack off when you work at home? Well, no, I don't. Well, then why does that person want to slack off? So they always had an excuse why we couldn't. Well, guess what? Now we have to. And so we have we are not only demonstrating, but we're proving with empirical data that you can work from home and the company can still be successful. So when we come back to work and people expect this new norm to continue, how will we respond as leaders with empathy and trust to allow us to work remotely? Uh, because people will want that. They'll want to work remotely. Maybe not every day, maybe not every one, but some will. So how are we going to respond with that? Anyhow. Speaking of COVID-19, as you're in the thick of it, really, in, in Toronto, I mean, Nampa, Idaho, we have, we're definitely, you know, we're, yeah. we have, you know, the governor's shut us down and, and you know, we yeah. have stay at home orders. But in Toronto, it's very different. What's that look like specifically there for those that sure. are outside the city and specifically to the clients and the people that you work with and their businesses? How is it affecting them and really their ability yeah. to lead? So the first question, what does it look like is... Um, so we, uh, there's, we have lots of, we have lots of grocery stores. In fact, within a mile of my house, I think there's five large grocery stores and two Costco's, right? So we haven't made, you cannot get an online order for two or three weeks out, right? Cause just, there's so much, it's so dense, right? There's so many people. Um, the Uber eats guys are like running off their feet. Like they're so busy. Um, they're probably making like 80 K a year on average right now. Right. Yeah. We, you know, so, um, the, uh, so that's what it looks like also. Um, so, uh, I, so most of us are staying inside. There's not like I drove, I had to go pick up something from an office that I needed on Saturday. And I said to my wife, it looked like a Sunday morning from 20 years ago. Like that's what it felt like. So dude, you used to live in Toronto. I was driving up past Kingston and Morningside where your church was right. and there was like you, you there's no cars in the road. The Tim Hortons empty. Which um, just does not happen. Just just no, it's never not busy, right? Yeah. I was the only I was the only person at the red light and I'm like I feel like I'm living in the walking dead, like you know minus the zombies of course. <laughs> That's what it feels like here. So, but then when you go to a grocery store, there's lineups around the corner. Right. So because they're only letting so many people in at a time, everybody's got a mask. Everybody's wearing gloves. So that's what it looks like in Toronto. In terms of my clients, um, you know, one of them is um, it's a, a charity that operates a large health facility and they train that health. The charity part is they do a lot of training of Olympians who go to the Special Olympics and the Paralympics. Well, they've had to shut their facility and. Uh, although they work on a membership basis, that's a huge blow to them. Um, yeah, for sure. They've just shut down the the the, the uh, facility. Um, another one is a summer camp. So we don't know what summer camp looks like yet. Uh, will it be July one? Will it be August one? Will it be not at all? So they're actually I'm I have the most faith in that organization to be honest because they're well led, actually expertly led. I would say probably the best leaders I've probably two leaders that I look up to the most. Um, in Canada right now. And, um, uh, and also they have a spirit of ingenuity. So I think they will figure out a way to deliver the summer camp experience, which for them is not necessarily about, you know, learning skills. It's about connection and building relationships. And uh, another one, a few other ones like are better suited. They, you know, they're education. So it's better suited or they're private companies and they're, they're figuring out a way to do business online. Um, and how to catch the customers. So it's not doom and gloom. There's definitely lower revenues for sure, no doubt. But um, they're figuring out a way forward. I wanted to have you on specifically to talk about empathy in regard sure. to this season that we're in. Because I was yeah. listening to, I don't know if you've ever heard of this podcast. It's called The Happiness Project, and it's affiliated with. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. It's a big oh, book. Yeah, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it, yeah, yeah great, yeah. And they were saying one of the things that's interesting, I think it was this podcast, so don't quote me on this, but I think they were saying that one of the things that the problems with this time is in past epidemics or, you know, say you have a hurricane or a tornado, the community wants to gather together and to help one another. Whereas now it's kind of like, okay, we want to help each other, but then we're not like kind of leery of one another at the same point. Yes. And so it's messing yeah. with, with us psychologically. Um, so when you deal with, with business owners, entrepreneurs, um, there's pro like 
there's probably that that double side where they're like, okay, I want to care for my employees, but on the same hand, um, I'm trying to run a business <laughs> and I've got to survive. Mm-hmm. Um, how do the, mm-hmm. how do you help them balance that in the midst of this? Well, you know, um, the the from an empathetic standpoint, the first thing you want to communicate to your employees is you want to be very transparent with your, with your supply chain. So for a grocery store, you want to tell customers and employees alike, hey, we have our warehouses are full. Our truckers are all still working. The factories where we get our product from and the farmers who give us our vegetables, they're still working. We will be able to deliver product to the store. We can still sell, which means you can still pay your salaries, which means your customers, you can still get food. So that's a very easy supply chain transparency. From another standpoint, so for example, um, I was speaking to a church today uh, about supply chain transparency. And what do you want if you're a member of a congregation at a church? You want to know that you can go to Sunday service still. You want to know that you can connect with people that are your friends from church. You want to know if there's Bible study. So supply chain transparency from a church looks like this communicating to your uh, employees and your audience. Because really, it's all the, it's all one right now. It's not just employees or 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 um, or empl- uh, employees or customers. And I'll tell you why in a second. But um, it's, from a church standpoint, it's about saying things like, okay, here's what we're doing to deliver Sunday message to you. You know, we have a great videographer that has taught me remotely how to work a camera. I'm the pastor. I'm going to um, record a message and I upload it to him on Dropbox and he's putting it online on YouTube on Saturday night so it's ready for you Sunday morning. That's what transparency in the supply chain looks like. If you're, um, if you are um, a flower shop, uh, you might say something like, hey, I recognize you're not going to weddings and funerals right now. You're not buying flowers for birthdays that's what you do but we still have flowers because the 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 greenhouses we buy from are still operating uh they have about three months before they'd have to replant anyway we're still getting flowers if you want to stay connected flowers are a great way to stay connected uh it allows you to reach out and touch somebody without touching them so there's still great ways to um do business but the key is from an empathetic standpoint supply chain transparency it's basically bearing your soul. It's allowing it's you saying, I recognize that you are feeling this way right now and I understand how to feel that way. So that's why I'm responding by being transparent in my supply chain. To add on to that point, I was, I was in a, a local place, um, uh, food and beverage place, and they, I noticed I went into the urinals and I looked them up and they had notices to all their employees. I thought it was kind of funny. I was like, that's probably the best place because that's where they're going to read them, <laughs> right above the, yeah. the urinals. And, and But what was struck me was how transparent they were. And they, they, they put the dollar amount and how much they had in the bank even and, and that payroll wasn't yeah. going to be affected. And, and I thought to myself yeah. as I read that, I was like, man, if I were an employee here, that would actually mean a lot to me because it's like, wow, that, like, yes. I can totally see that. And so here's my question, though. Yes. What's the balance between, let, let's say, especially churches during this time, what's the balance between being transparent and saying, okay, maybe there are some struggles here to, you know, <laughs> having that bold face? Because one of the things is <laughs> sometimes in pastoring, I think, especially, we can kind of get caught up in like, this is exciting, this is awesome, and... Yet on the same hand, you're kind of going to bed at night, man. Okay, so tithe numbers are gonna might be down during this season. You might you might know, be all, all, it's oh, yeah, like definitely yeah really really okay feel. So how do you balance? Perfect. That? You know, there's kind of a there's there's for for you know you and I are Gen X, so we're right in the middle of this next comment. Um, but for Gen Xers and younger, we don't buy from companies. We don't give to churches. We don't go to churches. We don't support companies we like. We support and buy from places we trust. And so we might like a company, but we'll never give them our money because we just think they're cool. But if we trust a company, we'll do that. So a church, the balance between putting on a bold face and being honest is there is no balance. You are honest because that's what we need today. And that's what we expect at our age. Now, I say there's a divide because, of course, we can't say there's, there's not a one-size-fits-all. For our parents that grew up, um, and they, you know, they, the people that communicated to them were taught by the scholars of World War II. 
So propaganda was part of their rhetoric, like as a everyday thing. Which so terrible to say, but I know, <laughs> but it needed to be like in world war. Yeah, totally. Like that loose lips sink ships was a real thing. Like that wasn't just, you know, um, Rosie, the riveter, we needed to get women into the factories, like, and we had to convince them to do it somehow. So it was a necessary, necessary thing. But today we just don't, that's just not part of our, our vernacular. So putting on that brave face is by saying, if we are going to get through this, here's what we've done. You know, I heard one leader, he took, he's taking no salary for 2020. Wow. Um, now I don't know how he's doing that. I, is it going to be tight for him? I bet it's going to be. But, um, and senior leadership has taken 30, 30% pay cuts. Uh, and they asked employees to take a 15% pay cut. Will it be tight? Yes. But if we do this and we can get through to September 1, we'll make it, right? And um, and that so that's there's, – there's no balance between putting on a brave face. Now, by saying that, I don't mean you come in, well, guys, it's going to be tough. No, you, you, exactly. of course, you're, you're a leader. You encourage. Exactly. But, um, but you are very tra- transparent in the supply chain. So, yeah, I asked that because I think that's a real struggle that, that people really face because there is sure. that there is that tug just want to say, OK, hey, everything's great. We're excited. I mean, more people are going to see us this Easter. You know, well, Easter's already passed, but, you know, than have ever yes. before because they're going to see us in line. But on the, the bottom line, you're still feeling that pit in your stomach because you're like, oh, yes, man, no one's here. Like, you're pre, you know, especially yeah. for like, say, pastors, because I'm I connect with that. Word. Yeah you know, speaking to an empty room, it's like, okay, this is, yeah. this is a little different. This is, it's awkward. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. 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 I actually, I, I've been watching uh, when at first, when, when the late night shows went off the air, I watched Seth Meyers because I think for him, he, it was like very plain how awkward it was for him to deliver his monologue yeah. to like an empty, I think he was in his hallway at first in his garage. So, um, I can, I can imagine pastors, but it's funny because I was speaking to a pastor today who I'm like, man, you were built for like empty room preaching. Like you were, you are great on camera. <laughs> so some people have really excelled. Yeah. And you know, the thing is funny. It's like more people are going to see us than ever before. You're like every church all of a sudden has discovered the internet. Yeah. So it just, it really makes me a bit disappointed in, in churches that like it only took a once in a century crisis for you to modernize. Come on. Like, so I expect churches Here's my challenge to you lead the next, you lead the next communication revolution, yeah. right? You lead it. So you get on TikTok, wherever the next TikTok is, I want to see every church on it doing awesome things before, um, before like B-list celebrities are like inventing dances for our kids to copy. Well, and I, I think that that's one of the, we mentioned that point earlier with, you know, you mentioned with business mm-hmm. leaders where they were a little, okay, man, should I let my employees work from home? And I'm sure people listening, they're probably yeah. thinking, okay, I don't know about that. Could I really do that? You know, yeah. and all, but all of a sudden when you're forced to do something like that, yes, then it, it breaks you out of that mold. And I think for the church yeah. world, it seems that way that you go in this rut and every so often um, it's, it's like God allows situations, yeah. crisis to shake things up, but you know, yeah. who knows, maybe in a few years, it's a worldwide internet crash. You know, you, right? never, you never know where people have to meet. It, you never know what, what it is, but it j- just, yeah. it shakes us and it helps us innovate, helps us, helps us change. Yeah. Here's a question that just to follow on this line with empathy. Um, how do you empathize with others when your life experiences are, are very different from theirs? Um, let's take, Oh my gosh. Great. No, for sure. Great question. Like the people that love to hate on my, um, my empathy talk are the ones that'll be like, Oh, well, do I have to, um, experience death in my family for me to empathize? Somebody who's like, no, of course, like, come on. So empathy is not like I have had that experience. So now I can relate. That is just your ability to be aware of what it must, might be like. So here are three easy exercises that anybody can do. And my favorite is this. You know, Aristotle said this. He's like, if you want to he, – he actually said – I'll start over. Aristotle said this. He said, read fiction. If you want to know what did happen, read nonfiction. If you want to know what could happen, read fiction. And that uh, there's so there's been um, scientists that have taken that um, advice and tested it and have found that when they gave subjects books to read uh, that were fiction versus a controlled group that read nonfiction, the group that um, read fiction had higher capacity for empathy. They were able to empathize with people. So yeah, that's a really so read fiction, which I mean, 
you might have some time. Um, I basically, by the way, I'm only looking at the time I was in commute. That's my free time. I mean, and I can't, you know, like a lot of people, I have my kids around, so it's hard. But anyhow, if you find some time, read some fiction. The next thing is this, is this and this is going to be a tough one, daydream. Daydreaming has also been shown to help you understand how to empathize. It's so simple. And um, this uh, this uh, research was done out of a large university in the state, so it wasn't like uh, it wasn't some like backwater, um, you know, uh, hokey research study. It was done by a large university in the states where they had subjects intentionally daydream and then like uh, journal it. And the ones that did it, again, showed higher capacity for empathy. And the third one, which is hard to do right now, but I'm going to encourage everybody watching and listening today, um, visit a religious service that is not of your own faith. Go to, if you're a Christian, go to a temple or a mosque. If you're Jewish, visit a Catholic church, et cetera. Go visit it and just observe and watch. Um, that will help you understand yeah. people and care and care about how they must be viewing the world right so there are three simple exercises you can do that are all shown by the way when when lead so um, monster.co.uk mm-hmm. took these three exercises and then surveyed leaders that did it the leaders that did all three would see up to a 30 percent decrease in absenteeism at their work wow yes so like that's how it increases the bottom line so it's legit it's not like, oh, this is all touchy-feely, mushy-mushy. No, these exercises will change you as a human being. You will start acting that way. Your employees will want to be around you more and hate you less, and they'll stay around work a bit more. They won't call in sick when they're just kind of not feeling like coming to work. How has your thinking on empathy shifted over the years? Um, I'm going to guess that there's been an evolution there. And, well, you know, was there an aha moment? Because obviously this is a topic you're passionate about. Was there an aha moment in your life where you were – you know, not <laughs> empathetic towards others where someone said something to you. Mm. What happened? I think, um, I think probably it wasn't like an aha moment, but like, I think a lot of young people, uh, I'm, I'm a man. So as young men that I know and myself personally, we go through our twenties being pretty selfish. And especially if you were um, growing up in the eighties and nineties, there was a time in culture when like individualism was really being like touted as the next best thing. Like, um, all the great, you know, Tom Cruise movies that showed him as an awesome, like, you know, solo hero, um, top gun. Nineties, like, yes. Music beating in the background. All, all yeah. the, yes, totally. So, I think as I came out of that, and I'm not sure if it was an aha moment, but you know, I worked, I worked in education for a long time, um, and just seeing students that were, like, what really would frustrate me was when they would do everything right, and then still get denied for whatever stupid reason was. That's probably what helped build my um, awareness of empathy, and uh, also there's been just like in the past probably seven years, there's been a lot of great research. Like empathy is kind of becoming a cool thing. Um, and gratitude is another one that I all of a sudden seen a lot of gratitude talk and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I've been beating this drum for years. And now they're starting to come online. Like, you know, Benet Brown is a huge, uh, very popular author. She talks about empathy and she does it so eloquently. So often, um, if somebody wants me to talk about empathy, I'm like, can I just buy you her book? Um, it'll probably be a lot. She'll do a lot better job. Um, I can train your company on how to be empathetic, but if you just want to talk about it as your, yourself. So, um, yeah, it wasn't really an aha moment, but basically just, you know, be environmental. I'll tell you a really interesting thing about empathy is our empathy actually only um, expands to ourselves. And I don't mean like ourselves individually. I mean ourselves. So our definition of who we are. And the University of Virginia, um, they, this is research that came out of there. What they did is they took – a girl or a person who's a female a subject and they gave her like little shocks, right? And so she, you know, felt the shocks. Then they unplugged her and they plugged in her friend and they gave her shocks. And what they were doing is they were doing, they're measuring with a machine called an fMRI, a functional uh, MRI machine. So that gives you live pictures. As the second subject was being shocked, the girl who'd been shocked as well, her brain waves were having the exact same reaction as a girl. So she was feeling those electric shocks. Interesting. Even though, so they unplug them both and they bring in a stranger. They don't, two girls are friends. They don't know that they're – and they watch him being hooked up and shocked the exact, exact same way. Their brains do nothing. They are not feeling empathy for this stranger. 
So really empathy is about how can you put yourself in that person's shoes? How can you expand yourself, like your awareness of yourself to understand empathy? And that's really like, that's the real key is um, we don't do it on a broad spectrum naturally. We are hardwired for empathy, but we're hardwired for a very small circle of people. When I th listen to you talk there, um, my mind can't help but go back to Christ and the example that he said, you know, we have a great high priest who, who sympathizes with us in, in our weakness. And, and if there's anyone who shows empathy with us, it's, it's, it's Jesus. Um, how's your understanding of him impacted the way that you view empathy uh, to, to others? I mean, I know it's a very basic question, but it's just you can't escape that reality when you're talking about that. It's just like it's just there. Yeah, so who's this Jesus guy? No, I'm only kidding. <laughs> Sorry, can you imagine? Surprise! <laughs> no, um, You're scaring I'm me, only Matthew. <laughs> That's my favorite thing to say. Uh, I was uh, in a meeting with a pastor once, and they're like, um, here, let's just turn to this book. And I was like, is that Old or New Testament? And they looked at me like, you're the communications director at the People's Church? Anyhow, so, um, yeah, you know, um, I often think, <laughs> I often think about the times when the disciples would ask Jesus a question and he'd be like, how long have you guys been hanging out with me? You still don't get this. But yet he would still return because he loved them so much to help them grow and learn. Uh, and when I think about the woman who was like, you know, um, the woman they brought to Jesus that had been like cheated on her husband or something. And at the end of it, he's like, Hey man, just go, don't do that anymore. It's all, I get it. I get it. We're all flawed. You're flawed. I'm not, um, don't do it anymore. You know, just like there's more for you in this life. And I just see like, everything he did, every parable, you know, the good Samaritan, right? That's what I, that's actually what I call, uh, whenever I hear or read a story right now online about somebody helping, I'm calling it a good, I'm kind of collecting them under a good Samaritan folder in my, uh, on my computer. So I just, I'm seeing so many good Samaritan stories, um, right now where, uh, people, are been are beaten up and down on the side of the road and people are passing them by but then you hear the story of the person who stopped and did something who's a stranger to them so yeah i know and it's it's cool because those stories really pop out don't they because yes it, you know it, what's interesting is i was just uh reading first john today and uh, and it you know in there there's um, a lot of religious snobbery going on. You have these, you know, Gnostics. I won't get into all that, but they're, they're you know, they're kind of looking down their noses at, you know, and yeah. we got this new revelation. And, and, you know, if you just be like us, then you could, you know, then you could really know what's up. And, and, mm. and there's, there's kind of that temptation to do that, I think, with other people where we can, um, we always, there's like this spiritual one-upmanship, right? Like, it's like, if I can just elevate, and it, it's, we can do this so easily in conversation, right, with other people, where it's just like, I, I remember, this was an aha moment in my life, probably been about um, maybe seven, eight years ago, I was, I was working at a church in Virginia, and uh, I was, uh, I was, you know, I was working with some of the young adults, and one of them, jokingly, but there was truth to it, he said, you know, the funny thing about Ezra is, is he says, whenever I tell a story, Ezra always has one that's that's um that's just a little bit more crazy and and out there right and, mm. I, and I, I forget exactly how he put it but basically it when i heard that i was like you know what i do do that a lot like it's easy mm. for me to just you know that one up one upmanship yes and and so a specific question here living in toronto very culturally diverse city mm. um your experience with people that have especially just moved to Canada, things like that, who are new to the city, maybe moved from a different region of Canada, um, how's that increased your empathy for others? Just um, yeah. You know, um, our church meets in a community center. We don't have a building. Yeah. Uh, so just down the hall is like literally the community swimming pool. Our biggest outreach is like toddler swim hour, you know, like because they're already at they're already at church. So um, now our congregation is unique too. We have about about you know 100 people is in our church, but about um, a good percentage are actually ha are currently or have been refugees to Canada. And um, one Sunday, 
um, somebody, uh, somebody not part of our church decided they would hang out in the room that we use for the nursery. And it's just like, it's a normal room in a community center. And we asked him to leave and he said, no, it's a community center. I'll stay here. We're like, well, we, we, we do rent the room, but you know, and, um, he refused and eventually we had to go get, um, somebody that worked there to remove him. And the reason we asked him to move was because not, not only because this is our children's area. And of course you want to be sensitive at who's in the room and what they're doing is a trust factor. But you know, there were kids there who had seen tremendous violence already in their lives, uh, who had escaped war to be here and be safe. And, um, so that is just like, you know, a whole nother level. Like, uh, as when I was at Centennial college, about, when I left, about half of the student population were um, were international students, yeah. and uh, I remember talking to a student, and he he had used this is back in the day, so he used our fax machine to get his transcript from the school he attended in Iraq to get some course credit at Centennial, right. and uh, so I handed him his transcript from Iraq, and I said, "Oh man, like." your English is like really good. Like you came from Iraq to here and like your English is perfect. He said, Oh, thank you. But you know, really my, uh, my Polish is better. I'm like, Oh, Oh, what do you mean? <laughs> He's like, Oh, well, before I lived in Canada, I lived in Poland for like five years. And I'm like, so you came from Iraq to Poland to Canada. He's like, no, I went from Iraq to Austria, to Poland, to the UK, to Canada. I'm like, why? He's like, Matthew, I'm from Iraq. <laughs> like, why, why else? My dad wanted me to have a better life. And I'm like, man, when I came to college, I took one bus, you know, exactly. um, yeah. you know, and uh, there are students. I remember I, for one year I got to do this thing where um, between Christmas and New Year's, a lot of international students would fly in and I would pick these. Uh, I was on this team that would pick up the students from the airport and take them to the room they had rented on the Internet that they hadn't seen. Um, and just kind of leave them there and like, just feeling like, Oh, are you like, man, if I don't talk to my mom for three days, I get lonely, you know, like, how are you going to be? So just, I think putting yourselves in those situations. And so here's the thing, here's another quick tip for you, uh, for, if you're listening today, if you want to increase your empathy, go volunteer. And like, I just want to encourage you just so you know, I, when I volunteer, I don't do stuff I don't like to do. And I only do stuff that's in my wheelhouse. So, for example, driving and picking up people and dropping them off, I can do that all day, every day. I love driving. I love chatting. Do that. Um, I know somebody who just loves data. So they're like, give me all your numbers. I don't want to help you unload boxes or do all the stuff we typically think about volunteering. Go and be really firm on what you want to do for that nonprofit because you will find one who needs exactly that. And you will excel. You will love it. You will grow in empathy. Yeah. It was one of the first things when, when Janan and I moved here to uh, Nampa, Idaho, that was one of the first things we did uh, as decisions as a family kind of before we got settled in our house was finding a place to volunteer mm. because, yes, does it do something for the people that you're helping? I hope so, right? I hope, you hope. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. man, it sure does something here, doesn't it? Like, it just mm. it gets the focus off of you and onto other people, doesn't it? It's just there's mm. something it, about service that does mm. that. I think it actually helps you um, – I do a workshop called Find Your Why. It's based off of what Simon Sinek uh, yeah. taught. It's like the second most popular TED Talk. Yeah. Um, and I think, uh, so the reason why I do that that workshop is I want to help people find their why because when you do that, you can align every part of your life. And I think all of us have some sort of service drive in ourselves. So when you find a place where you can volunteer in your wheelhouse, it really helps align your life with your why. So even if you haven't articulated your why yet. During this season, obviously we're in the, if you're listening to this later, mm -hmm. we're doing in the COVID-19 season and really in the thick of things. Um, mm -hmm. What are some um, empathy pitfalls maybe that we could avoid and or non-empathy pitfalls, I guess you could call them. And uh, yeah. what are some things that we can, just practical stuff, you've already listed a number of them, but what's a practical step or two that we can, we can do during this time to show our care for, for others? Yeah, so I encourage everybody in online meetings right now because that's how we're mostly meeting. I say if your meeting starts at 10.30, goes to 11.30, your meeting actually goes from 10.40 to 11.30. Take the first 10 minutes to catch up. How are you doing? What's going on? What? How are you winning this week? What's a win for you? Now, if you want to discuss some things that are really hurting, you totally can. Um, but I like discussing wins because there's usually one or two. And the win could be got to talk to my daughter today, you know. Um 
and like that. And just take the first 10 minutes and just, you're not meeting, you're, you're catching up. Um, recognize as well that everybody feels the same way you do. Everybody does. No, this is such a rare moment that we're all of this together. I know. It's um, odd. Yeah, it's very odd. Yeah. yeah. I was talking to a friend of mine whose grandfather, um, he was like one of the first ones. He's in the UK. And he said, yeah, my grandfather was one of the first ones to like hunker down in the house and like get mad at us for not going out. I'm like, oh, what would like really? He's like, yeah, he's, he said to me, um, he said, you know, I survived the Germans bombing us in World War II. I get what it means to like everybody get on board. And I was like, you know what? That's actually like legit. Like his ho- his house was bombed, right? So uh, he spent the night in subways. Um, so he gets what it is. Like we're all going through this together. Nobody's house is less ruined than yours. Um, so just understand that and take time to be human with each other. Um, yeah. I like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, just just close us out with with some thoughts. Um, who are some people that you think? Uh, show empathy maybe they're popular people maybe they're not popular who are some people in hmm. your life who have shown empathy well to you or that you've observed and what's the impact it's had on your life um that's a good question who are some empathy you know there's actually the guy who actually made me stop and think about it is my dentist actually uh because nobody likes going to the dentist but this guy makes it so easy to get a root canal, uh, because he gets you, man. And, um, and I actually, uh, oh man, I should probably make it public again. It was, I let him in my empathy chapter. I told his story. He was uh, an emergency room dentist in, uh, Philadelphia in an ER in Philadelphia. And he talks about like at that time, like it was like the, the gun capital of America or something. Every night people were being shot. And I said, what's a dentist have to do with guns? He's like, well, if somebody's shot in the face, like I'm the jaw and mouth expert. So oh, that's what I was doing yeah, there. Yeah. yeah. And so he talked about like literally helping a doctor like open a guy's chest up so he could like physically pump his heart for him. Um, and, you know, so when you experience that and you when somebody calls you on a Sunday because they have incredible tooth pain, he'll go in because he gets it like he's seen the worst of us. So so that so he's probably my A1 guy. Dr. Kashki, which is so cool yeah. because yeah. it's not like the typical person you would think. Like, and, and that just shows yeah. that man, yeah. like that that yeah. power we have of just like wherever we're at, that, you know. Yeah. And you, you know, know what? He, yeah. So, Dr. name's Dr. Kashki, and his daughter now works in the office, and I see so much of his, the way he is in her, and so clearly this is a like, it's not in his DNA. He's taught it and lived it and modeled it for her. Like he's basically been the best life coach. He's like modeled, explained, demanded, right? You know, Um, and it's great. So there's that. And then, um, uh, you know, somebody famous is doing it. Let me see if I can. Like right now, some politicians are actually doing a pretty good job. I have to hand it to them. I don't I don't normally think politicians do a great job of like relating to to me and you yeah. but um i think it's they're doing it a lot of them up even some of the hard yeah ones. i think it's, it's yeah i agree yeah, yeah yeah some brevity to that yeah. like um yeah. Yeah. so let me see if i can think of a you know um it's hard to you know you really have to witness empathy firsthand and that's why they have a hard time finding a a celebrity or somebody famous that could that could show it because really empathy is um something that is very personal and you have to experience. So I've seen it and lived it with my, I have uh, one of my clients right now. She is the exact opposite of me, to be honest, like this is the way we operate. But, um, she told me, uh, I gave her an idea of how she could connect with her staff. And she, she came back to me the next day and she said, Oh, thank you. I've been trying to figure out how to display my compassion for them. I just didn't have the right ideas. And I was like, you know, that is so true because she is such a thoughtful and she drives the bottom line. Like she's hardcore about that. Um, but like she really does care for the individuals and um, and just sometimes she has a hard time uh, putting into action her, her ideas and thoughts. So um, that's another person I've seen. 
that's cool. I, th- I think great. just a couple of days ago, we are getting our taxes done. And, and uh, oh, yeah. Funny, that's not the funnest time of the year, especially moving from <laughs> no. Canada. You got the, the Canada oh. and U.S. taxes you got to figure out. And um, But it was so interesting. My wife, she calls this lady and at the front desk, and, and she got off the phone. She's like, Ezra, she's like, I would, I, like, I don't even really know the accountant that well, but just from that secretary, I want to do our taxes there because she was the nicest person, like, like, ever and like a couple a couple days ago i was in a gas station and and noticed it was just just struck me there was a a group of ladies you could tell they were tight friends there and person after person would come in they knew their name like it it was it was it was crazy just how person after person would come in they knew their name had some sort of relationship with them and i thought man that that, that's pretty cool that's that's pretty neat and i told them i was like man you guys are like the friendliest um friendliest Mm. people that uh that, that I've you know I've seen doing this mm. it's, it's it's very cool pretty cool it stands out hey um it looks like we're all time where where can people find you online what's what's the yeah. best way people can connect with you yeah so um, my website leadingwithnice.com and I would recommend during this time um uh I have a daily I have a daily podcast it's two minutes long so anybody can digest that. So in the footer menu, there's a podcast link and you can subscribe to all your favorite places. If you have an Amazon Alexa, you can subscribe to, it's called a flash briefing. Yeah, you can get your daily flash briefing. Do you have one? You yeah, should have a flash briefing, dude. For, do you? I'm going to enable one. it yep. tonight. Yeah, That's cool. yeah I'm going to enable it tonight. So I have one right here at my desk and everything. Here we, oh, there we are. Yeah. So I'm going to, um, I'll enable yours today. Is it mondaychristian.com? Uh, no, 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 I, no I, sorry, I was saying I have an Amazon oh, Alexa. <laughs> oh, no, you should do a daily flash briefing, dude. Like, you'd be great at it. So uh-huh. mine's two minutes long, and the, uh, I talk, every week from Monday to Friday, I take a topic. So we just did em- – we're actually doing empathy and trust this week mm. because I think, the, as I mentioned before, those are the, the big ones. But if we discuss a topic, so that's probably where I'd recommend you check out right now or if you enable it as your uh, Alexa flash briefing um, you know, get two minutes of me every day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Matthew, thank you so much for coming on and, and taking some. Oh, time. Ezra, my pleasure. All right, brother. And listen, I appreciate you rocking the Raptors hat. Um, oh, yeah. if things, oh, yeah. yeah, if things go totally south, I, the Raptors are two year champions. It's all that matters. I'm telling so. my friends the same thing. I'm telling yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm totally exactly. That, so. And I'm going to, I, that trophy better make another tour. In, in 2021. So, um, because if they're not doing it, then we get it. It's all good. Yeah, all right, Ezra. Thanks so much, brother. All right. Hey, well, there you have it. And uh, once again, if you want to connect with Matthew online, leadingwithnice.com. All right. That wraps up this program today. If you uh, want to do us a favor, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and leave us a review. It helps a lot. Thanks so much. And I'll talk to you all again soon. You've been listening to the Monday Christian Podcast, the program that helps you put into action the truth of God's word that you hear on Sunday to your everyday life on Monday. For more info on this program, simply visit our website, themondaychristian.com. That's themondaychristian.com.